You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Dear Father, uh, we do just thank you so much for the blessing to gather together. We think of the months uh, a year or so ago where uh, we had to be separate and all of the confusion that that caused and a blessing that we can just kind of assume, yep, we're going to be able to join in with those that said it was a blessing when we said we went up to the house of the Lord. This is your house, Father. Uh, you've called us to, to build local churches and it's been happening for centuries, little home churches, great big cathedrals, wherever your spirit goes, Lord, wherever you choose to bless, Wherever you choose to put your candlestick, Lord, we praise you that, um, that all your promises have come, are coming, will come to pass. When you said your disciples will do greater things than these, than the things that you did while you were here on earth, we can see that uh, what you did spread across the continents and around the globe and across the oceans. And uh, as, as is traditional for Christians to use Sunday morning to, to worship you, we think of the the thousands, no, the millions of people that are in our, in our time zone. And just as the, as the sun revolves around the earth today, your people proclaiming your word, singing praises to your name, studying your truth, and letting their hearts be open to be transformed more and more. We look forward to the day when we hear the trumpet blare, we hear the, the voice of the archangel, and we'll see that the battle will finally be over in reality. You glorify us. No more struggle with sin. No more long, hard weeks. No more exhaustion. No more fear. No more worry. No more anxiety. No more stress. Just pure glory. Thank you for giving us a taste of that now. Bless us as we... Uh, so we look at the word together, Father, in your name I pray, amen, amen. Well, the title today is One Day of Trouble, and the question to be wrestling with is what Jesus said about anxiety and how we can fight it. And I don't know if it's like when you buy, you ever bought a new car or a new car to you, and suddenly we have a blue minivan, and when we bought the blue minivan, suddenly everywhere I went, there was a blue minivan. Uh, you go to Walmart, and there's one, is that Karma? No, that's a random blue minivan, but everybody, have you had that? You get a, a white pickup, or you get a, a red Tahoe or something, and suddenly you see red Tahoes everywhere. Uh, it seems like since um, I've been praying over this passage, I've heard many of us talk about, you know, I just had a stressful week. It's been tiring. I've been challenged with some things. I'm, it, enough to make you, you worry and, and have anxiety. And um, that's a blessing to me in a weird way to know that, okay, Lord, maybe this is a, a word in a, in a good season. I know for me, um, as, as Pastor Joe and I have been working together on our schedule, he said, um, when we're doing a series, how about let's try when Joe Nelson and Donnie preach that they can do single messages that's just on their heart that are not part of the series. Kind of give us a blend. So this is not part of the, uh, 
of the mission and vision series that Pastor Joe is preaching. Uh, this is something that in prayer, in my own personal walk, um, that's on my heart. And I really pray that it'll be a blessing to us. There's a weird thing about preaching. Um, you know, in school, middle school and high school, you can take up speech, speech class. And you can learn how to, how to give speeches. And it's kind of like music. You can learn how to play an instrument. And there's part of that that's involved in preaching. But the majority has nothing to do with speech class, has nothing to do with, uh, with how you play the guitar or the piano. Um, there is something that you can have an absolutely perfect presentation and the Spirit chooses not to bless. Thankfully, you can have a horrible presentation and God can light it up on fire and uh, the preacher may not ever know about it. So as we gather together, whether, whether um, you're looking my way or I'm looking yours, we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit to bless. And He knows. He knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows your wrestling and your struggles. And I think we all know we all have struggles. And if we say we don't, well, we've got the truth issues to deal with, don't we? One day of trouble, what Jesus said about anxiety and how to fight it. Shall we read our passage? Um, I think we've stood enough today. How about, how about you just remain uh, seated? Is that okay? All right. Um, starting in verse 25 of Matthew 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, these are Jesus' words. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And Jesus said, look at the birds. Well, he's on the mountain. So he's looking around and he, uh, he takes an illustration from, from the surroundings. Look at the birds. The birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And there's kind of a weird statement here, kind of a double meaning if you think about it. Are you not more of more value than they? Aren't you glad you're of more value than birds? Kind of a blessing and an insult at the same time. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. So you've got to know he's looking around at the field and he can see the, the mountain flowers covering maybe a little ravine or a canyon that just come up naturally. Spring rain, who knows? And he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, we're just talking about how nice it is to see the green grass coming back. Uh, we've had uh, many months of brown, 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 brown. Uh, look at the trees, no leaves. Look at the grass, brown, brown, brown. Be glad we live in Nebraska. If you ever travel to some of the southwestern states, spring is brown, 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 brown. Fifty shades of brown. Um, it gets old. <laughs> um, we're reading the Bible. All right. <laughs> oh, here, talking about me right here. Oh, you of little faith. All right. Let me, let me start at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, Donnie of little faith? Verse 31, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The final verse, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless the reading of his word, which is the word of God for the people of God. One day of trouble. What Jesus said about anxiety and how to fight it. And the question is, what did Jesus say in this passage about anxiety? What did he say about fear and worry and stress? He goes very directly into the subject. He says, and he shows us how we can fight against it. And we can start off asking, well, okay, what, what is anxiety? If you look it up in the dictionary, anxiety is experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness. It is typically about an upcoming event. So, I know some of us have finals coming. That's an upcoming event. And we can be stressed out about whatever it is. Something with an uncertain outcome. I know any time I took a final, it was an uncertain outcome. Bible dictionaries define anxiety as cares that pull you in opposing direction. The core meaning of the word is to be divided. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You ever tried to sleep when you just felt like your mind was racing in two divided directions? That's what being anxious means, according to Bible dictionaries. Being anxious basically means lacking the peace that Jesus promised when he says, my peace I give unto you. Jesus is all about giving us peace. For all of us, anxiety is a personal problem. We all have to deal with stress. Fear, worry, anxiety are daily invading our personal lives. For example, pastors often stay up at night late or even all night long wrestling with issues in the church. Moms and dads worry over their kids or over finances. Um, young people have anxiety over self-image or peer pressure or what's going on on social media. Single people worry over being single. Married people wish they were single. Sometimes. Anxiety, stress, worry, fear constantly battle against our peace. That's why I'm preaching on this right now, or trying to, because I've been stressed out lately. Things have been happening in our life, or I told karma before this happened, I said, well, we'll be okay as long as this doesn't happen. Then it happens. Well, now what? Is anxiety just a modern problem? Maybe we think it's a product of our complicated world and, and our confusing society. Uh, the American Psychological Association says, anxiety in America is a national mental health crisis. The 2022 Harris Poll said that uh, they discovered more than three in four adults, 77% of adults say this, listen to this. 77% of adults say that the future of our nation is a significant source of their stress. 
Hmm. See that? More than 7 in 10 Americans, 71% say that right now, where we are at this time when they took this poll, is the lowest point in our nation's history that they can remember. Well, I'm a history teacher, so I'm like, well, ever studied the Civil War? But as far as what we can remember, people are saying, this is a low ebb. We are stressed out about what's going on in society. And uh, that's society in general. What about in the church? LifeWay Research recently found that 54% of pastors find their role overwhelming. Um, a couple years ago, when Joe and I first had just first met, uh, we went over to a conference in York, and the speaker was Brian Croft. And uh, Brian Croft runs a ministry called Practical Shepherding, and it's a counseling ministry that focuses on the needs of pastors. And uh, he recently said this in 2021. He said, pastors are resigning in, quote, a way I've never really seen before. We're getting invaded and, and, and attacked by stress, aren't we? Is it a modern problem? It's also an ancient problem. All through the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Bible talks about fear and anxiety. From the Sermon on the Mount all the way back to the Psalms, we're constantly hearing, fear not, my peace be unto you. And we see David wrestling with the same kind of emotions that maybe we feel when we're trying to go to sleep at night or dealing with a situation at work or in our family. Jesus talks about it here to his audience in the Sermon on the Mount. And think about it. Obviously, these are just simple, rural Folks, farmers, farm workers, really, fishermen, villagers, no cell phones, no internet, no Fox News or CNN. And centuries before the time of Christ, David cried out with grief, with fear and loneliness in Psalm 102 where he says, I watch and have become like a sparrow that is alone upon the housetop. David said, my enemies reproach me all the day. They are mad against me and curse me. He says, I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Anxiety is an ancient problem, a modern problem. Mayo Clinic reports it's a physical problem, or at least has physical effects. They report that stress that is left unchecked can contribute to heart disease, obesity, and diabetes. Common effects on the body are headaches, fatigue, sleep problems, depression, anger, outbursts, or social withdrawal. I'm just getting stressed out reading about this. <laughs> John Hopkins Medical says, when you're worried, you tend to sleep poorly. You're also less likely to exercise or make healthy food choices or watch your weight. All of these lifestyle changes can put your heart health at risk. It's a physical problem. It's a ancient, an ancient problem. It's a modern problem. It's a personal problem. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let's go to the root. Really, anxiety is a spiritual problem. It's an issue of the heart. And a very beautifully and skillfully teaches us how to deal with it. What does Jesus say about anxiety and how do we fight it? 
let's just look through the passage and make some comments and then uh, have some practical steps that we can pull from the passage at the end to summarize and just say, well, I can do this, I can do this, and I can do this. And notice that I felt led to say, fight it. I've seen books where you can say you can eliminate it. Well, I've got to make it real. All I can do is fight it. And I think uh, when Jesus says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, guess what? You win today, you got a battle tomorrow. So, let's jump into uh, the first or the next slide where we uh, look at our, our number one. Don't worry about your basic needs. Don't be anxious about life's basic needs. And let's just read in verse 25. It says, therefore, I tell you, again, like we said, do not be anxious about your life. Put on the brakes. Jesus is being very blunt. He just says, don't be anxious. It's a command. Okay, Lord, gotcha, loud and clear. Don't be anxious. You ever been trying to go to sleep at night and it's a, it's a 9.30 and things are good, you're going to get a good night's sleep and you wrestle and you toss and turn and you get up and it's 10.45 and then you break midnight and now it's getting to 1 o'clock and do you, it's a lack of not knowing? Oh yeah, I shouldn't be worrying. Check, go to sleep. It's more complicated than that. But Jesus still is very bold and very blunt and he says, don't worry. Don't stress out. It is a command. And can we admit that if Jesus commanded it, and we st still do it, there's a heart issue there that needs to be addressed. Thankfully, he goes deep down to the heart so we can respond when it seems like it's impossible. Don't be anxious about your life. What does it mean? Don't worry about your basic needs. He talks about what you drink and what you eat and what you put on. Don't worry about it. When I think about the stresses that I have, it gets, it gets back to, well, if this happens, then, uh, then that'll lead to this, and there'll be a domino effect, and I'll lose my job. Then we won't be able to pay the bills, and we'll lose the house, and we won't be able to pay our bills. We'll be out on the street. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. I am in control. I'm going to take care of your basic needs. But he also tells us this about our life. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink or your body, about what you put on. Listen, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So much of the things that we wrestle with are just up here, aren't they? On the material, on the physical, just dealing with life stuff. And there's times we stop and we ask, is there, is there more to life than just stuff? Was my body made just to go from point A to point B? Or is this a vehicle to express God's glory and advance his kingdom? Is there more to life? Is there more meaning to life than just eating, drinking, and wearing clothes so we can stay warm? And Jesus says, think about it. There is. There's meaning in your life. You're created for a purpose. For example, Jesus says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And I love this. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I love looking at little babies. And the mama or the daddy has the bottle. 
and just cuddle them in close. I remember when our kids were little and we had a glider chair and I must have gone back and forth thousands of times with Isaac and Hannah and Ethan and they would just suck on their bottle. We'd kind of get sweaty in between us because we're there so long and they're hot. And, and uh, we have a little dribble down the side and I'd dab it off. Sometimes I remember falling asleep on the glider. The baby is asleep and I'd wake up at close time of communion between a parent and child feeding. God is the judge of all the world. He's the sovereign power of the universe. But never, ever forget, he's your dad. He's for you. He's not against you. He's going to feed you. He's going to take care of you. He's your heavenly, not worldly, father. And uh, a lot of times when we think of the word father, we think of worldly father definitions, don't we? Maybe the father that wasn't there or the father that treated us the way they shouldn't. Uh, our, our word and our definition for father gets all skewed and twisted. But know this, the Bible tells us that there's another perfectly pure dictionary in the Bible of what the father is like. And he's very attentive, protecting and providing and feeding because he's from heaven. He emanates from paradise. He's perfect. He's for you. If you have faith, if you place your faith in him, He's for you and not against you, and he feeds you. And then here's this weird kind of double-edged statement. Are you not of more value than they? And he says, I value you. That's what we've been talking about. You're so important to me, you're better than birds. Jesus is very direct. He's not there to flatter. He's honest. He started out this sermon saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted. He's talking to people that he says, you are blessed people. You're the simple people. You're the rural people. You're the people, uh, maybe the workers in the cities, you know, whatever cities they had at that time. But as he pulled them out onto the mountainsides, he said, guess what? You think that the Pharisees and all the religious leaders that are corrupt at that day are the ones where they're the true movers and shakers? And Jesus says, no, you you're the blessed ones. You're the salt of the earth, Jesus said. But don't lose your saltiness. you got a job to do, folks. You are the preserving influence of this world, well, church. But don't stop what you're called to do. You're the salt of the earth. But don't lose your saltiness. And Jesus says right here, in a similar way, he said, uh, you're of so much value, but don't get so proud of yourself. Uh, yeah, you're better than birds and mountain flowers. Okay, okay, I hear you, Lord. Next, we go on to the next slide that says, uh, being anxious doesn't need help. Anxiety doesn't help. Verse 27 says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's so practical. Jesus gives this bold statement where I'm left scratching my head saying, how in the world can I just say, yes, Lord, and check the box? Look at the Ten Commandments. Okay, don't murder, don't steal, don't be anxious. Can't stop. Just let me explain. Let me help you. Let me reason with you. Come, let us reason together. There's a reason why... You shouldn't be anxious. First of all, name it. It's a command to not do it. Secondly, it doesn't do you any good. 
just knowing that, it starts to help, doesn't it? Okay, okay. Um, as I start getting into the weeds of worry, um, I'm starting to think, well, if, if I, I remember talking to a guy one night, super, he graduated at number one at the medical center in Houston, Texas. Phys, uh, a medical doctor, my same age, and I stumbled through UNK, <laughs> talking to this guy, and uh, he's talking about his worries and his ch troubles, and he's like five major events into the future that he says, we really need to focus on this because that will lead to this, and when that goes this way, then we'll go over here, and when that happens, we'll do this and that, and oh no, disaster, so we gotta do something different over here, and I'm like, dude, you're playing mental chess. I can't keep up. What good is this doing you? You have no control over whether that's going to do this, that, this, and the other. Jesus said, let me help you categorize this. Anxiety doesn't help. Next slide. Oh, wait, before we go to the next slide, uh, he also says uh, there's no reward. All throughout the Sermon on, sorry, Isaac, the, all throughout the, uh, all throughout the uh, Sermon on the Mount, there's something that you ever studied the Bible and uh, things you never saw before starts popping up? As I study through the Sermon on the Mount this time, I've noticed that Jesus says, do this and get a reward. Don't do that because you won't get a reward. Wow, I thought Grace said that we, uh, we had all the blessings of heaven and we just kind of sit and do nothing. Is that what love does? Is that how grace works? Does God just uh, pour out his grace like a big bucket of maple syrup on our head and then fly off and do the stars? No, he interacts with us like a real person. We have a real relationship. And he says, let me help you. If you do the wrong thing, you're not going to get a reward. But if you do the right thing, you will get a reward. Like, okay, okay. Still need to know how. I got the what coming. But he helps with the reasoning. Okay, it doesn't do me any good. I won't get rewarded. Next, God's care is better. Verse 28 says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So I'm not a lady. And I've heard rumors that ladies like to dress up. And you think about the uh, clothing and dressing up for a special event. Right now is a good time for like formal occasions related to graduation. And uh, ladies, you're just, you're so beautiful. Dress up a, or, or lighten up and brighten up a room. I've heard also that ladies don't like to buy one dress and then somebody else walks in with the same dress. I don't get all that dynamic, but. There's something more beautiful than external clothing, isn't there? I see it right now. Ladies glowing with the presence of the Lord on their countenance. It's a beautiful thing. It's more beautiful than Solomon. It's what God gives us. It says, I'm going to take care of your physical needs, but I can give you something that you can't buy online. You can't get on discount at Kohl's. If you were in Hollywood or over on all those places in California, the best shopping that some celebrity could do and dress themselves up with. I remember I was teaching some kids, uh, wealthy kids, 
<laughs> they were the Chinese kids at, at Nebraska Christian. They're talking about these tennis shoes cost $1,000. Wow, man. What kind of world do you come from? Covering up your feet. Jesus said, how beautiful are the feet of those that publish the gospel of peace. God has something more involved in our body uh, clothing than just uh, $1,000 tennis shoes or uh, fancy clothes. Go ahead and dress up. It's wonderful. But be reassured of this. The presence of God and a peaceful smile is more attractive than anything that we can just put on that we bought at a store. And that there's a promise right here. It says, yet I tell you, uh, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow sown in the oven, will he not more, much more clothe you? I promise you, people. I promise you, kids. God's putting it down in his keynote sermon. This is Jesus' keynote message. I will take care of you. My word is true. I promise you. Believe in the promises of God. And then another little jab comes from Jesus here. O ye of little faith. Now, Joe, would you like that if I just came in here? You know, a lot of you are very faithful, but Joe, you're just weak. I'm very disappointed in your faith, brother. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not Jesus, but I can quote him. <laughs> and he says, yes, you're the salt of the earth. Yes, blessed are the poor, O ye of little faith. It's a heart problem. Anxiety is. It's a faith problem. Worry is. And Jesus says, if you want to deal with it, go to the heart. Go to what we know about what faith is. And that's where we're headed here in a little bit when we get to the how-to because that's a key. How do we unlock this prison of anxiety? Seek the kingdom instead is the next slide. Seek the kingdom instead. Verse 31 says, therefore, do not be anxious. He says it again, twice. He started off, don't be anxious. He says, uh, in case you didn't hear me, it's a command, don't worry. Don't say, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the Gentiles, and at that time, that means those that were outside of the covenant of God, that uh, Jesus was exploding on the scene to take this thing away, just not away from the Jews, but from the Jews all around the world to the Gentiles. But when he said Gentiles, that means those that don't understand the things of the Lord and the things of faith. It's what they seek after. And your heavenly Father knows. There he is again. Where are you, God? I feel like David right now, Lord. I feel like this little sparrow on a, on a rooftop, all alone. Vulnerable, exposed, weak. Do you know? Oh, yes. Your father knows. He's a heavenly father. He knows that you need them all. He knows your needs. But... Now, we go to the what can we do. He's told us what not to do. How do we fill the void after we try to stop the worry? How do we combat it? How do we fill the vacuum? Do this. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be seek first the kingdom? Does that mean just show up to church once a week? That's part of it. He calls us to do that. 
But the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is within you. When Jesus came, he says, the kingdom is at hand. It's within your grasp. Easy definition of the kingdom, it's the king's dominion. It's the king's authority. Wherever God's in charge, that's the kingdom. Focus on kingdom things. And I had this really funny quote that made Joe Marino laugh, and I probably can't get it right. But uh, Jesus is telling us to focus on kingdom things. And if you kick the king out of kingdom things, you just have dumb things. Okay. I'm going to write a book, Mr. H's Non-Funny Jokes. Because I tell these jokes every day, no one laughs, but I will not stop. I think it'll sell. Because uh, people end up laughing, not at the joke, at the author. So, whatever it takes. Everywhere you go, your business can be a kingdom thing. Your singleness can be a kingdom thing. Your marriage can be a kingdom thing. Every, your, your budget can be a kingdom thing. This church better be a kingdom thing. Seek it. Right after this, in the next chapter, he says, if you want me, ask, seek, knock. He doesn't just pour it. He says, I want you to look for it. This is something of value. And, and, and if it was easy to get, everybody would just have it, and there'd be all sorts of mixed motives. But if there's a filtering process of saying, you want the stuff of the kingdom, then knock, 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 knock. Just like that, that, that parable about the, the lady at night, that knock, 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 knock. I want it. I know you're in there. Come out. I want your dominion in my life. It's all about who's in charge. It's all about the authority of God, of the kingdom. Who is the... In charge of the dominion of the king. Who is it? Knock on that castle door. Boom. I want the king. Come on. He says it's better than Solomon's riches. It's better than anything the Gentiles seek after. Everything on this earth can be invaded with the kingdom. Seek it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the righteousness that's given through faith, not the righteousness that's earned. That's God's righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Another promise, church. If you focus on the kingdom and God's righteousness, guess what? Your basic needs will show up. I promise you. Don't be anxious about the future, says the next slide. Verse 34 says, therefore, do not be anxious. Command number three, three times in this passage. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. This time he says, don't worry. Last time he says, don't worry about today. And now he says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will, have, uh, will be anxious for itself. Guess what, church? Every single day for the rest of your life is going to have trouble in it. I'll just confess this, that so much of my challenges with stress and anxiety lately have been because I've been trying to avoid trouble rather than face it. Does God have the ability to give us the power to face our troubles. I believe he does. Face your troubles. 
deal with them here in the here and now. And that's just really good common sense. It's very practical wisdom is deal with the trouble of one day. Inherent in this right here is sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for who? Every day has enough trouble. Enough for who? Enough for a human being. We're not angels. We're not gods. We are designed to be able to handle only the stress and the trouble and the anxiety of one day. Does it say don't plan for the future? Well, that go against what the Bible says about the ant that prepares for the harvest in the summertime and gets ready for the, for the future with the harvest. But don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. Don't have anxiety about it. Plan for the future. Make your plans. Look to the future. Strategize. But don't always go like I often do, worst case scenario. Who knows what may happen? God may show up and blow your plans uh, better than you could ever imagine. He even tells us about that. Trust in me, and I'll give more than you can handle overflowing. One day at a time. You've got a troublesome day. Face it. It's very practical to say just do one day at a time. One of the uh, a Christian person that I've been listening to lately online has been very helpful. His name is Chad Wright, and he's a retired Navy SEAL. Navy SEALs have a training program that lasts 24 years, uh, 24 months, probably feels like 24 years to them, but um, he, uh, he is now ret retired, and the reason they retired him, he got retired early. He had been a Navy SEAL for 12 years, one of, and they claim to be the most elite fighting force on the planet. Now, if you talk to the Marines or the Army, they probably have different, different opinions. But the Navy SEALs um, are in a grueling 24-week month. What did I say? 24-week training program, six months. And uh, he went through it, passed every single thing with flying colors. He's a redneck kid from North Georgia. He said, I couldn't even swim. SEALs are, are experts in sea, air, and land. Sea, air, and land. SEALs. So they can parachute out into enemy territory. They can plunge right into the water and go scuba diving right up into the beach. And then they can come out and fight on land. They're a, they're a, they have a trident as their, as their symbol because they attack with three different methods. Sea, air, and land. He said, I didn't know how to swim. I mean, we swam across the pond to get our fishing hook off the log. And he tried to pass the basic course so that he could be considered to go into the Navy SEALs training. He said he failed. He said he failed 12 weeks in a row. And he came home and all of his buddies says, yeah, we're not surprised, you're just Chad. You know, you've never gone out for sports in high school. Who do you think you are trying to be the most elite force on the planet? And he went home and he prepared and kept working and he went back the next week. There's an unlimited uh, open door for the basic course. And he finally learned how to swim and he finally made it and he got accepted to go into uh, just basic training for the Navy. He got through all the weeks of the basic training for the Navy and uh, he had a contract to go into the SEALs after that if he passed. Well, he passed, except the medical... Um, advisor brought him in and they had done a screening on him and they found a pericardial cyst on his heart 
And they said, it's not a problem for anybody unless you do scuba diving. Uh, we were concerned that at low depths it will uh, burst. So you can't be a seal. So he went back home and all his buddies said, told you. You're nothing special. He lived outside of Atlanta and he started going from doctor to doctor to heart surgeon to heart surgeon saying, will you do a non-required open heart surgery to get rid of this benign cyst? No. Until they find an ex-military doctor, heart surgeon, that would do it. They opened up his pectoral muscle, broke two of his ribs, went in and removed the pericardial cyst in an open heart surgery, and in less than a year, he stood back in front of that medical advisor and says, can I be a SEAL now? He said after that, SEALs training was pretty easy. Or at least he wouldn't give up. And as they go through their training, um, there's always a bell. They have a little trailer with a bell on it. And they go out into the surf and they'll make them on hell week, they'll go all night long and won't let them sleep. And they do what's called the sugar cookie. And they have to go out to the surf when it's cold, roll and get wet, and then go roll around in the sand and then sit there for hours and hours, shivering, covered with sand. And they have all sorts of other grueling things that they have to do. Carry a log on top of their shoulders, like eight guys walking around with this giant log. You passed it, didn't, didn't fail any of the... Uh, any of the things never rang the bell. Because he said, anytime that you want to give up, the bell's right over there. You just go ring it. No pressure. Won't look down our nose at you. Just ring the bell. You can go home. You don't have to be a seal. So I was never tempted once to ring the bell. Twelve years as a Navy SEAL. He was what's called a, a breacher that led the attack of the Navy SEALs to blow up doors and walls so that they could go into wherever they needed to go. And he was exposed to so many blasts, thousands, he said, that it messed up with his brain tissues and he started losing equilibrium. And so they had to retire him. So what did he do? He went into ultra running. And now he started a, a company that teaches people how to do ultra running. And he runs, uh, I think his last run was 38 hours straight. No sleeping, night and day. They have a headlight out in the woods. He's psycho. He's crazy. <laughs> he says, how do I do it? It's because I don't hurt, because it doesn't hurt me. It kills me. How do I keep going? And he says, this is what I do. When I feel like I can't go anymore, my legs are on fire, and I'm all alone out in the woods, and it, why, why am I doing this? I just find about a tree about 200 yards ahead, and if, if I can just make it to that tree. Very practical wisdom. Just, just make it to that little goal, that, that next step. Just deal with what's in front of you. Jesus said the same thing. Quit worrying about seven days at a time or three months or your whole life. Sometimes I have worries that are 20 years away. I can just make it to that tree. He says, once I get to that tree, then I find a big boulder. I'll run to the boulder. And he says, I don't think about, he says, every single time, as he became a Navy SEAL trainer, he said, every single time I saw a guy that rang the bell and quit, right before that, they came up to me and said, I don't think I can make it anymore. This is overwhelming. There's four months left. I don't think I can do this. He said, every single one then went and rang the bell. But if they never said it, and they only focused on the day and the moment, he said, it really wasn't that hard. It's just mentally overwhelming. And don't you feel that sometimes? where you look at the combination of factors and you can see a hundred thousand million things that could go wrong in your family and in your, on the work, 
place or wherever you are and just say, I'm overwhelmed. Carmen and I really struggled when we were dating. We had lots of, of issues related to uh, our beliefs and our religion and our vision for life. And I remember I went to my dad one time and I said, Dad, it just feels like a, a ball of fish fishing line. You ever seen a ball of fishing line that's all knotted all up and there's one string out here and one string out there and there's just a knotted mess in between. Sometimes I feel life is like that. I said, we're never going to get married. This is never going to work. We have too many issues. Our personalities are just polar opposites. It's never going to work. And Dad and I came to the conclusion, but is God powerful enough to take both ends of that string and just have it all come loose and straighten out? He does. And he did. And he promises us that he will deal with your needs in this life so you can focus on him and have joy. C.S. Lewis said, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. <laughs> Does God care about that? Our concerns about how painful the best will turn out to be? He says, I'll feed you. I know what you need. I care. And some of you have shared this morning, it's been a hard week been a heavy week it's been a tiresome week you have a father that cares he does care does he care about your days how do we fight anxiety does he care enough to show us what to do let's go on to the next slide where it says how do we fight anxiety well, here's three things that we can glean from the passage we just looked at. Know the heart of God. We've said it already, but know this. It says, I am a father that I want to care for you. He calls us, back in, the, back in the Psalms, he says, I remember that you're dust, but I still have compassion upon you. Believe in the promises of God. I will care for you. I promise you. I will never leave you, never forsake you. May not make us all that our flesh wants, but I'll give you something better, something Solomon's gold knows nothing about. I'll give you my presence. I'll give you my power. I'll let you see the kingdom advance, and I'll work through you, and I'll work through this church. I'll work through gospel-preaching churches all around the globe. That's Christianity. That's the kingdom. Seek it. Ask and knock. See the redemption of God, O oh, ye of little faith. What is faith? It's the ability to see the redemption of God. How does this help us with our day of trouble? By faith, can you see that Jesus had a day of trouble too? That one day Jesus had a day of trouble? Think about the time you read where Jesus was praying as he was thinking about the cross. And his sweat poured out of him like it was blood. That's stress. He was stressed out. He was dealing with anxiety and worry. 
Think of Jesus on the cross as he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think when he proclaimed, today you will be with me in paradise. Think of when he looked down at his, at his mother and says, woman, behold your son. When he cried out from his heart, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a human being and as a man, he cried out, I thirst. Isn't it interesting that the core meaning of anxiety means to be stretched in opposing directions? Jesus was stretched in opposing directions as they nailed him to the cross. He was dealing with the wrath of God before the, because of the brokenness and the rebellion of mankind. And yet he was God able to absorb it. Ultimate anxiety, ultimate stress, until he finally had finished, uh, finished every single thing he was called to do and promised he would do. And he said, it is finished. And the power of stress and anxiety and worry is finished. And peace is available. And we're shown how to fight for it. And he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I'll leave you with this last statement, church. Because Jesus handled all anxiety, crushed all worry, went to the root and killed stress on his day of trouble now we are able to face our anxiety on our troubled days pray that's a blessing to you let's pray dear father i i thank you for your word i thank you for your teaching i thank you for your amazing approach to sharing your heart uh, Lord, you're so clear and direct and even blunt sometimes. And then, Lord, you're almost uncomfortably intimate and close. Lord, you show us how to navigate through life. You say, if you do the wrong thing, there'll be no reward. If you do the right thing, there'll be a reward. And I just pray right now as I try to think about how every passage in your word points to your work on the cross, your ministry that you did while you were alive, the power that you had when you came back from, the, the, from death and emptied the tomb and, and the power of you and the spirit moving forward. As we think about the, the, that key that unlocks every single command that you give us and, and shows us how how can we deal with things like worry and stress and anxiety and fear? To know that you've conquered fear, that you've faced worry, that you've went to the very core and the very root of what causes anxiety to be what they call a, an epidemic and a crisis. And I feel it, Lord. And I know by faith you call me and you call us to, to confess what we feel the reality of what failures and issues and struggles that we have. Lord, by faith, you tell us, uh, don't pretend like you've got it all together. I know you're dust. But Lord, you have compassion on us. You'll help us. You'll feed us. You'll take care of us. 
just think about that one day of your trouble, Jesus. You felt the pain. You heard the mocking. You recoiled from the shame. You did it for God's glory and for our good. I pray this morning we'll be reminded of all these things that we already know. And that will help me and us to have a week moving forward where we can say, you know what, tomorrow's going to be hard. But with your power and with your promises, I can face problems instead of try to avoid them. Not go into escapism or some other place where I think I'm going to find a better answer to life's basic needs. You've promised even better than Solomon's gold are your provisions and your promises. I pray that by faith we'll take one step. Just find our spiritual tree, our spiritual rock, and just make it to the end of the day with joy, with confidence, and a testimony that will draw others to your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.